Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us today. This session is, segment is brought to you by Bull Realty Asset and Occupancy Solutions, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com. Well, today we're going to talk about something that is really pressing on a lot of people's mind today as tax reform and what might happen with the 1031 exchange. As all my listeners, viewers know, the 1031 exchange is used a lot in our business. It really generates the economy, business, transactions. Uh, it really is a big part of our economic environment around the U.S. and especially in commercial real estate. Well, we have tax reform and everything seems to be on the table. Today we're going to talk about the 1031 exchange. What's the likelihood of something changing or the 1031 exchange going away completely? Seems like everything is on the table. Well, we have some experts, experts for us today on the show. Please welcome Evan Lydiard. He's Senior Policy Representative with with the National Association of Realtors, and Dr. Robert Carroll, National Director, Quantitative Economics and Statistics with Ernst & Young. They're joining me on Skype. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us. Happy to be here. It's great to be here. Well, Evan, you know, what is the real likelihood of 1031 going away or being altered significantly? Well, that's a question nobody really knows the answer to, but we're very, very worried about it because tax reform is coming and there is a need to raise revenue to make the uh, tax reform revenue neutral. And so they're, they're on the lookout for trying to find what are considered by many to be unwarranted loopholes. And a lot of people don't understand what 1031 does or means, but it sounds like it might be a loophole. And since it could be considered to raise tens of billions of dollars to help pay for lowering tax cuts, it's on the table. And they're, they're actually talking about it. It's, it's not clear. But, but it's at risk and, and has been for some time. We're very worried. Yeah, and it seems like in years past we've heard that 1031 might be on the table. But I guess it's a little different now with all this talk about tax reform, right? Right, right. Uh, I think it's been fairly stable. People look at it. But in an environment like this where Republicans in Congress and the president have promised delivery of the tax reform and they want to do it this fall, it is. Uh, it, it could be moving fairly quickly, and, and this is uh, the most at risk we've seen it for some time. Yeah, you know we do uh, 1031s all the time and have done for years at my shop in Atlanta, where we sell investment properties. It seems like I don't know. It seems like half of our deals involve 1031s. What is are the statistics around the country? How many investment sales transactions are really involving 1031s? Well, we, we don't know exactly. We have some, some information about that. It's a high percentage, and a lot of it's going to depend on the type of property. For example, office property, land, retail property, these tend to have 1031 exchanges a lot more often than, than, than other types of property. And some of it's geographical as well. Uh, we, we find a lot more on the West Coast, particularly California, and uh, Oregon, Washington, and some of the Western states than we do uh, in some of the heartland or, or the East Coast by percentage. But, uh, of course, there are many of them everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Well, Bob, what might the economic impact be if, say, 1031 just went away? Yeah, it's a, a very interesting question, and that's one of the key questions if one wants to uh, put together, uh, design a pro-growth tax plan, and one's considering what should be in the plan and what would not be in the plan, you kind of want to evaluate provisions uh, to the, uh, you know, at the margin of whether they're going to, going to contribute to economic growth or detract from economic growth. 
uh, in 2015, uh, Ernst & Young released a, a study prepared in, be, in behalf of uh, the Federation of Exchange Accommodators and a number of other, um, uh, with the support of another, a, a number of other um, uh, groups within uh, Washington who were interested in the 1031 provision. And we found that when you uh, repeal, uh, if you were to repeal the 1031 provision and pair it with a revenue neutral reduction in the corporate tax rate, just a, a, enough of a corporate tax rate reduction that would use up the revenue that would be raised from repealing the 1031 provision. So you have that apples to apples comparison that even when you did that, um, it would, uh, the 1031 provision, its repeal would detract from economic growth, that it would reduce uh, GDP by about $8 billion in the long run. Uh, and uh, it would, would uh, not be consistent with uh, pro-growth tax policy. Repealing 1031, even when it's paired with a revenue neutral rate reduction, um, actually increases the cost of capital, uh, adversely impacts investment, and thus adversely impacts with less investment, less capital formation, labor has less capital to work with, um, and as such, uh, GDP in the long run would be somewhat lower than it would be uh, otherwise. Well, that's a pretty big hit on, on GDP, and, and it's not just the real estate world, right? It's a lot of businesses that's, that, that, that work around us. That's exactly right. Um, uh, the 1031 provision is actually very widely used. It's not, no, it's not just, I think 10, 15 years ago, people used to think of the 1031 provision as a real estate provision, but now I think it's much more widely used. Um, it involves rental car fleets. It involves um, jet planes. It involves um, uh, the cargo portion of tractor trailers. It involves railroad cars. There are a lot of uh, things that are... Uh, uh, assets that are transferred uh, using the 1031 provision. Right, and I'm in commercial real estate, so like I said, we use it a lot, but it's also used in the residential real estate and investment sales, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, how does the Trump factor impact all of this? You know, he's a commercial real estate background. Does that hurt? Does that help? Uh, does it matter? That's another very good question, and there's been a lot of speculation over the past months and years about that. Most people believe that the president probably has engaged in numerous 1031 transactions. I, I tend to think he, he has, or we don't have any proof of that. And therefore, some take comfort in the fact that, well, he's going to protect us. Well, I wouldn't take that much comfort in it. His main, main job is to get a tax reform proposal out and, and passed. And, if it happens to pinch uh, real estate, then, then so be it. One other factor of this that makes it more complicated is this same tax reform proposal that we, we think is coming offers something called immediate expensing, including of buildings. And many people think that if we have immediate expensing, meaning you don't depreciate it, but you write it off the very first year you buy it, that you don't need 1031 anymore because you could just sell a piece of real estate and then roll, uh, roll over the gain in effect by buying another one the same year. And so a lot of people in Washington, especially on Capitol Hill, think that if you pass that, which will greatly stimulate the economy, then you've done away with the need of 1031. That's really not true because land is not expensable under these proposals. But that is a common perception that we're finding as we talk to staff and members on the Hill. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you look at the tax law changes that we had on depreciation in, what, 1986. Uh, that didn't work out too well. No, it certainly didn't. And, and real estate, particularly commercial real estate, is still very sensitive to that fact. Yeah. And I think those, I think those designing the uh, the tax plan are also sensitive to 
the potential for unintended consequences associated with a very large reform as we had in 86 with the uh, with the uh, limitation of the passive activity uh, the passive activity limitations that were put in place uh, and other changes I think uh, in, in after uh, ex post the ex post views is those had fairly significant unintended consequences so I think uh, those who are designing the plan are receptive to um, discussions around what are what might be the unintended consequences as they put together a plan uh, today. Yeah, I think if uh, the President and the Congress want to generate business, I think the 1031 is certainly uh, a factor to, to consider. So, gentlemen, what is the timing on this? When might we know something? Well, that's another difficult question to answer, mm -hmm. but the, the President is putting a full-court press on tax reform right now. In fact, he had folks over at the White House for dinner and he's uh, talking about members of Congress that uh, that are particularly key, trying to get them to uh, to be interested in moving this right away, and it looks like there's going to be perhaps agreement among all the Republicans within the next week or two as to what that plan might be, and we'll learn a lot more at that time. The goal is to try to get it finished before the end of this year, if possible. It's a very ambitious goal, but that that is the goal. Yeah, and that's pretty fast. So that might take effect then immediately or beginning next year as far as if something did change with the 1031? My, my guess is that tax rate reductions would probably be retroactive uh, to the 1st of 2017 if they were to pass it this year, but tax increases may not be. Uh, the Congress generally is very leery of trying to make retroactive tax increases on people. So that one may be, uh, hopefully, would be if they did it, would, would be retro, um, would be prospective only. What are some parts of all this, gentlemen, that congressmen and, and maybe the president might not think about that if we wanted to point out to them, hey, what about this, what about this, what about the impact of this if you abolish 1031 or, or significantly change it? Well, one of the ways the 1031 provision uh, contributes to uh, the economy is that it, um, allows for the faster turnover of property for economic reasons rather than locking in uh, assets uh, uh, for tax reasons. And if one were to repeal the 1031 provision without a, the, the complete and full expensing provision that it also included land, or, or if one uh, you know, kept kind of the contours of the current system uh, in you know, largely intact, but lowered the rate, provided some accelerated depreciation, did some other things and then repealed the 1031 provision to get the rate a little bit lower. Um, I think uh, you one would have to worry about um, 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 uh, assets or capital getting locked into properties for a longer period of times. I think it would reduce the the velocity. It would reduce the the turnover of properties, and that's that's something I, I think would be uh, um, a, cons uh, a a significant concern. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, you know, less activity, less moving of properties. And, you know, in my experience of selling apartments and other properties is that that's when we get significant improvement in the housing stock and in the office stock. You know, that's when new investors come in and, and invest and turn properties around. And sometimes we see properties that people and companies haven't moved and they've owned a long time. They start deteriorating and they're just not putting enough money into them. So there's a lot of stimulus around around the 1031, isn't there? Yep. Anything else that that uh, a, a congressman sitting in his office might not think about the 1031 that could could jeopardize the economy or cause some hiccups? 
Now, one thing we like to point out when we visit with members and staff on, on the Hill is just how widespread 1031 is. And this is a surprise to them. Uh, a lot of people might be surprised at this, uh, some of your viewers as well. And that is that we did a recent survey of, of members of the, of the National Association of Realtors and it found that 63% of all of our members had been involved in a 1031 exchange either for themselves or on behalf of a client over the past four years. Now, many of our members are not com considered commercial in any way, but they, they might help uh, folks with a rental home or rental properties. And, and uh, it's just very widespread. And it's not just uh, the, the big commercial players, but lots of mom and pop uh, uh, holders of, 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 of investment property are involved in this. And very many of the constituents of members of Congress. Yeah. That's and a then, uh, as we indicated earlier, it also extends well beyond real estate. It's, it's no longer just a, it's an important real estate provision, but it also extends well beyond real estate. Yeah, I mean, you think about the, the less activity, you have all the people and all the companies and business that are affected, the, the lawyers, you know, the accountants, uh, the construction people, uh, the surveyors, you know, the engineers, uh, you know, the, 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 the home improvement, the supplies, the construction, I mean, it could be, uh, pretty devastating I think and you know and we do commercial real estate every day and I tell you that 1031s are a big part of the small investors who are moving properties and maybe separating from larger properties the smaller ones are moving uh, maybe they're getting up in age and want a different property type there's certainly a lot of movement of properties around the 1031 well gentlemen if someone wants to voice their opinion either way uh, what's an easy way for them to do that well, we th there are many ways to do it, but we think the most effective way, uh, and particularly for those of, of your, your audience who are, are somewhat influential and, and, and big players in their communities, is to uh, try to meet with the, the representative or their senator uh, in person. If not, that's not possible, and make a phone call and talk to the staff person in charge of, of tax policy and let them know just how important it is to the, their own uh, state, their own district, of keeping 1031 in place because it, it would make a difference in the economic growth and job creation of, of their district and state. And they, if they didn't hear it from you, who uh, somebody who knows uh, about what's going on in, in that district or state, it's going to, to mean something. Absolutely. It's important to be engaged. And, and really now is the time to be engaged on, on these sorts of issues. Uh, it, you don't want to wait until the package is completely done. You want to uh, engage uh, as they're working on the package, and that's where they are right now. Yeah, and there's some information on the Realtors website, right, where folks can uh, make comments to send to, uh, to send to folks. We we do have information about 1031 on there, uh, lots of background information, as, as well as some some uh, about the issue itself. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on the show. Great to Absolutely. Be with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, and keep up the good work. I certainly don't want 1031 to go away or be abolished. I think it'd be terrible for the economy. I think it'd be terrible for commercial real estate industry and everyone around it. We'll put some links uh, below uh, the audio or the video that uh, you can check out and easily send some information uh, to the politicians and let them know what you think. And stay with us. We'll have more on the 1031 Exchange, what might happen, what you can do. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com.
Buildout, the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit buildout.com. Excelligen, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by Excelligent, building data everywhere. Visit Excelligent.com. Today, we are talking about the 1031 exchange. What might happen to the exchange? Might it go away? Is there a death involved in 1031 exchange, or might it change? Well, we have an expert uh, on Skype with us here, Professor David Ling with the University of Florida. He's Director, Master of Science with the Real Estate Department. David, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Well, David, let's talk about it. I mean, the, the Treasury is looking at the just get, getting money where they get it in this tax reform and changes. Are they really, when they're looking at the implications of their revenues from 1031, if they do away with it, are they looking at it correctly? Well, the Treasury has a, a, a what we would call a kind of a static analysis. They they look at and estimate what would happen if uh, 1031s exchanges were taken away uh, from taxpayers as an option to dispose of properties, uh, and and from that they try to estimate the the, the increase in revenues, uh, or the other way we're looking at it is what what is the loss in Treasury revenues if 1031 exchanges uh, remain. And you're right, uh, they're looking kind of any of, under all the rocks and, and, and uh, to find treasury revenue. And if you just look at the so-called tax expenditure for 1031s, it looks like a pretty big uh, uh, target. Um, our, our analysis uh, takes kind of a deeper dive into the economics of 1031 exchanges and suggests that the cost of the treasury of keeping 1031s is much lower than perhaps commonly realized. Not that people at the treasury don't understand a dynamic analysis, but but the tax expenditure numbers that get passed around uh, 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 greatly exaggerate the revenue gains to the treasury. And is one of the reasons, like you mentioned, it's it's static because they they're kind of thinking, well, if nothing else changes, so what else might change? Well, taxpayer behavior always changes in the, in the face of tax reform and tax changes. So, as just one example, that a static analysis. Um, assumes that if you took away 1031s, uh, there would still be the same number of real estate dispositions. Of course, if you take away 1031s, especially in higher tax states where 1031s are more widely used, there'd be fewer dispositions, right? So there'd be less gain in revenue. Uh, and then the macro, more dynamic effects, you know, fewer transactions, uh, you know, uh, less sales tax, um, uh, less employment among real estate attorneys, uh, brokers, uh, et cetera. And so the, the Treasury uh, tax expenditures, I mean, Treasury puts forward and explains them, but I think many people take that number and, and, and don't really understand that, again, that it's very, very, very static analysis. So they estimate Treasury, I think, in 2017 that, that, uh, that the, uh, tax, the 1031 tax expenditure cost the Treasury something like 60 to 90 billion dollars. Um, and that is not even close to what 
the Treasury would collect in, in terms of increased revenues if they eliminated the 1031 exchange. Right. I mean, those are great points uh, because, you know, you've got the transfer tax, you've got the tangibles tax, um, you've got all the income tax and all the people involved in all these transactions, you know, the the attorneys, the the title companies, the construction people, the, the brokers. I mean, uh, they, it can't be static because I think there'll be a lot less activity of people uh, not selling properties. And then you had mentioned in a previous discussion with me that also there's a, a, a depreciation would change, right? So if somebody's not selling their property and they do an exchange, talk to us about that. That's a different situation yeah. there. Yeah, this is this is something that I think uh, many people that uh, are involved in these discussions don't fully understand. So, I mean, think about a property that maybe you've owned. It's an office building. You've owned it for 20 years. You've depreciated it for 20 years uh, using 39-year straight-line depreciation. Um, and uh, you bought that property for, say, a million dollars. I'll use simple numbers. Um, if you've not fully depreciated, but the basis in that property is very low. Well, if you sell, and let's assume that that, that million-dollar property is now worth $2 million. If you sell that property and buy a replacement property, your tax basis is that new $2 million, which means that you're depreciating, and you start the depreciation deductions over again 39-year straight line on the portion of that $2 million that is real property, okay? So you get a, what we call a stepped-up basis, right? You, you, you buy a replacement property for, for $2 million. Let's assume that's what your current one is worth. Okay. If you exchange out of the current property that you purchased for, say, a million, exchange into a, a new replacement property that's $2 million, you take your old basis with you. So this is important to understand. You, you've, you've exchanged out of a property that you purchased for a million into a property that's now that's worth two million, but your depreciation deductions remain the same. And right. in fact, if you fully depreciated the property, you exchange into that replacement property, you don't get any depreciation deductions. So the good news is you get tax deferral. You defer immediate recognition of capital gain taxes. The, 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 the offsetting news, which can be very, very large, and we measure this, is that your your depreciation deductions are much lower in the replacement property? Do you believe uh, that? That's huge. Do you believe the treasury uh, might not be calculating that? In now, again, I want to be careful because you know there's certainly a lot of smart people at Treasury and at the Joint Committee of Taxation, the Senate uh, Tax Committee, the House Tax Committee. What I'm saying is is that the tax expenditure estimates that the, that uh, that the Treasury puts forward are static estimates. Right, and, and they're intended to be, right? That's how they discuss and measure so-called tax expenditures, whether it be 1031 exchanges or maybe the expenditure related to mortgage interest deduction, right? So it's not that they don't know that these are static estimates, they do. They understand that behavior would probably be dynamic and they understand these other aspects of 1031s. It's just that a lot of people that consume those tax expenditure estimates, including some people in our industry, don't understand the extent to which they're very static and ignore a lot of the economics of 1031 exchange. Right. So you feel like the behavior of taxpayers, uh, number one, is going to be less transactions? There'll be, there'll certainly be, yes, there'll certainly be fewer transactions. And of course, this depends upon um, the tax environment in which we're talking. So in a, in a state like California, 
Washington, Colorado, uh, many of the many of the states on the uh, on the West Coast, uh, New York, uh, of course, uh, with very high state income taxes. Right. The the effects in those high tax states where exchanges are more widely used. Okay, those the negative effects would be much more pronounced for taxpayers and investors than in some lower tax states where perhaps 1031s aren't as widely used. Yeah, that's a good point. And talk to us about kind of an analysis, uh, maybe a net present value of doing an exchange or not doing an exchange so we can kind of understand how, it, how behavior might change. Right. So what our, what our simple analysis does or simple models do is they, they try to model a, to begin with, a sort of moderately taxed taxpayer who's confronted with the decision that I just talked about. They want to dispose of the property, not for tax reasons, just because they think it's time to sell office properties in Miami and you know buy apartments in Atlanta or whatever. So they, have, they want to dispose of the property. They have two options, fully taxable sale or exchange. So let's assume again that they've got a property that's, that they bought for a million, now worth two million, they want to exchange out of that $2 million property, and they can either replace it, say, for simplicity, let's say, with a $2 million property, and they can either exchange into that $2 million property, or they can sell the current property and buy the replacement property. And so, I guess simply stated, if I, if I, if I can make it simple, is that our analysis takes into consideration if they exchange into the property relative to selling and buying, what do they save in, in, in taxes immediately. And that's what the treasury looks at. And then what we subtract from that is what they lose in terms of depreciation deductions because their deductions will be lower going forward if they exchange into the property. And then when they sell the, if and when they sell the so-called replacement property in a fully taxable sale, how much higher will, cap, will their capital gain taxes be Right, because remember, 1031s are are there a deferral mechanism, right? right? If you defer recognition of a half million dollar gain today, you sell that property later, right? You then have to pay taxes on the gain that you originally defer, right? So um, what our analysis does is it takes into consideration all the tax impacts of a 1031 exchange, not just the immediate uh, tax deferral. And so the impact then for a minimally taxed uh, taxpayer, which is a, a, a word we probably shouldn't use, <laughs> taxes aren't minimum. Yeah. Uh, well, we say moderately taxed. So these moderately. are people that are facing uh, in a state with no state income tax, but that are facing the highest statutory rates. We estimate that the value of tax deferral is sort of in the range of 2 to 8% of the current value of the property two to eight percent of the current value of the property, which means that for that taxpayer, if 1031s were eliminated, that taxpayer, if, if, if the value is eight percent, right, the value that they place on that property would have to fall eight percent to make up for the lost tax benefits. Interesting. What about in a higher taxed market like California. In, in those markets, uh, I mean, California is, I guess, what we use as sort of the example of a high tax state. It, again, it depends upon how long the, the first properties have been held and how long the investor holds the replacement property. 
but those those benefits we we estimate range from seven or eight percent to seventeen percent. Wow! Right. So there are investors in uh, in some high tax states where the value of tax deferral is seventeen percent of the value of the property. Wow, that's significant. Well, David, what would you leave our audience with? What should they do? Should they reach out to someone about this if, if they care? Well, I think two things. I think, uh, you know, in, I guess in, in fairness, even, the, even the, the taxpayers, et cetera, need to be aware of the, of the downsides or the disadvantages of a 1031 exchange and understand uh, that the exchange isn't really saving them in the long term as much the way tax revenue uh, as they uh, as they expect, but I but I but I do think that the the analysis that I've seen uh, suggests that, that certainly most people's estimates of what kind of treasury revenue gain there would be are dramatically over are dramatically over overstated, uh, and uh, and so again just to be clear, Michael, to the extent that the taxpayers' depreciation deductions are lower going forward because they did an exchange, that means that the treasury revenues are higher going forward because those taxpayers are, are, are taking lower depreciation deductions. So um, I just think it, it, uh, it, it's, uh, everybody should be as well prepared and as well informed on sort of the economics of 1031 exchanges. But I think the strongest argument and the argument that we make in our paper is that in the end, um, very, little, very little treasury revenue would be gained when you factor in the offsetting tax disadvantages of an exchange as well as the dynamic behavior of, uh, of taxpayers and investors. So having those conversations with uh, their senators or House of Representatives or whatever uh, could be productive. Yeah, well said, David Ling. Thanks for joining us on uh, Skype today. My pleasure. And thank you for joining us out there on the radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, show website, wherever you are reaching us. Stay tuned. We'll have more on the demise or the change of 1031 exchange. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Video is powerful. Some of the biggest brands in commercial real estate have trusted us to tell their story. We are Barnes Creative Studios, premier commercial real estate video services. BarnesCreativeStudios.com would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. This segment is brought to you by GetValuate.com. Check it out. It's online software to do investment property analysis you can share with colleagues. Visit GetValuate.com. Well, today we're talking about the 1031 exchange. There's some talk of maybe abolishing it. There's some talk of maybe changing it materially. Please welcome my next guest. It's Brent Abram. He's CEO and founder of Accruit. He's also co-chair of the Federation of Exchange Accommodators Government Affairs Committee. He's joining us on Skype. Brent, thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks so, so much for having me. So, Brent, you know, we've heard uh, from time to time over the years that 
you know, as the government's looking for places to, to create more income, more taxes. Uh, they've looked at the 1031 exchange before, but uh, we've got tax reform now. I mean, it's a big subject it's coming up. What, what do you see going on with the tax reform, real estate, and, and, and specifically the 1031 exchange? Is there a chance that something can happen there? Well, <clears throat> I know there's a lot of talk uh, coming out of Washington, a lot of talk around tax reform. Um, there's still nothing concrete. And so one of the areas that we continually work on and make sure we're aware of is ensuring 1031s are not repealed. And so our discussions in Washington, as the dialogue continues in Washington, is to make sure that, that our congressional leaders understand the importance of the 1921 tax code and why this has been around for almost 100 years. So our concern is to educate and make sure that our representatives understand how this is used in commercial real estate every single day. What does this mean of stimulating the economy? So there's, again, nothing real concrete, but uh, we, are, we are watching day to day and seeing what's happening. Yeah. Well, it's certainly important. I was on uh, your website at the Federation of Exchange Accommodators, and I saw this one page that said the Joint Committee on Taxation uh, projects repeal of 1031 would generate $4 billion in tax revenue. But then I saw another report that said the Tax Foundation reports that a repeal would have an $18 billion economic and job loss. Uh, what, what are we looking at here? Well, and we look at this in a couple of ways. We hear people in D.C. talk about scoring numbers. We look at a window, usually a 10-year window. And so when they look at repeal, they look at it over 10 years. And we have done some similar studies with, with Ernst & Young that looked at the impact to the economy should we repeal 1031. So on one side, when they score 1031s and they talk about an expense, um, that is basically tax revenues that are not coming into the uh, U.S. Treasury. So if you have a like-kind exchange with a deferral, that means cash isn't coming in. So when they look at scoring that, they can say, well, if we repealed it, look how much more money we could have coming in, not only a year, but on an annual basis. So over 10 years, over $40 billion. So that, when they hear $40 billion, they're like, that's a good target. We can go after $40 billion as a pay for to help us lower tax uh, corporate tax rates. But on the flip side, if we repeal such a powerful stimulus, then what you hear is there's up to a eight to $13 billion impact to the US economy annually. So if you look at that, that's $130 billion over 10 years that we would be pulling and contracting from the economy because people are not using 1031s to stimulate growth. So you've got to look at both sides of the coin and what we're finding out through discussions and through reports and through studies is repeal of 1031s will have a much more dramatic negative impact to the U.S. economy than, than, um, than keeping it and allowing the stimulus to occur. Yeah, I mean, it certainly makes sense. And 1031 exchange were obviously used a lot in real estate, which touch and impact a lot of people. You think of the housing stock. We, we sell apartments. We see when they trade hands, they tendly get improved. Uh, you know, it really uh, helps people raise capital, generates activity. I'd hate to see it go for real estate purposes. But it's also used in personal property, right? Yeah. And so if you think about it, when we talk about personal property, what we mean is non-real estate assets. 
tractor trailers, rail cars, airplanes, construction. So as we talk about expanding our economy and growing, think about all the roads that are built. Think about all the construction equipment that is used to build these homes. So as we look at 1031s of how many industries it touches, it's hard to imagine an industry that it doesn't touch. Everything from the landscapers, from the painters, the plumbers, the realtors, the title brokers, everyone gets involved in a 1031. So it is broad reaching and uh, quite beneficial. You know, remember this is just part of the U.S. tax code and everything has to be reinvested right back here in the U.S. Right. And if our listeners and viewers, Brent, they want to learn more, uh, your uh, website, 1031taxreform.com, is that a good place for them to go? That's a great place. It was actually just updated and relaunched last week. We try to uh, be the voice of the 1031 industry, making sure the up-to-date reports are out there, articles, discussions, uh, really good um, statistical information that not, not only we share with all of our members, but also with everyone on, on uh, in Washington, D.C., to make sure they're looking at one consistent message about 1031s. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. If we have a listener viewer that is concerned that this could hurt the economy uh, if 1031 uh, is gone, what should they do? Who, what, who should they reach out to? What should they say? You know, it's no one knows people's businesses better than themselves. Mm -hmm. And for them to actually share a story with their local congressman or woman, their senator, let them know how they use 1031s. 1031s is not something that is left for the one percenters. It's quite the opposite. Most 1031, uh, 1031 exchanges are done by either middle class, small businesses. Um, yes, corporations use this. Yes, the one percenters use this. But the majority of these, this is one part of the tax code that is open to everyone. Anybody that owns a commercial real estate piece of property, maybe even a small rental home, will use 1031s. Even think about this, having a business, a realtor who owns a business car, the fact that they're able to trade that car in and not be taxed on the trade-in value is because of Section 1031. So sharing that with their local congressmen and their state U.S. representatives is tremendous. Everything on 1031taxreform.com, we actually make it very easy for anyone to go online and send a letter out to their representative. Let them tell the personal story how 1031s impact them and their community. Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, I just look at yesterday, uh, we made an offer for a purchaser on a shopping center for $9 million. It really will generate a nice return for the developers who built this. Um, and if they sell it, they'll go on and do more development, they'll have to do more construction, there'll be more jobs. And guess what they said to us? Well, we want to do a 1031 and we want to find a replacement property. So if we can do a 1031 and find a replacement property, we're good to go. You know, and, and that's just one hour of one day yesterday for, for one broker. Yeah, it's, it is such an incredible stimulus because it is also a driver. You know, um, it doesn't impact overall rates. It's not because they're being inflated because people do 1031s. It provides incredible opportunities. It allows businesses to actually make sure they're, they're running their portfolios extremely efficiently. It allows them to move out of one market into another market. But if you think about if you had to incur the taxes paid, whether it's capital gains or even ordinary income on the recapture amount, your economics are truly different you will stop moving in a trading 
assets around the country if you first have to get over the hurdle of paying the taxes. Look, margins are relatively slim in the industry. There's no doubt about it. So when you actually think about the taxes that you would have to incur without doing a like kind of exchange, on top of borrowing more money from a bank at a higher rate, it becomes inefficient and prohibitive for companies to, to have assets that are this fluid. 1031 basically breaks down all the friction and allows for free movement of uh, of assets throughout the country. It's a, it's a constant continuity of investment. Investing in one asset wherever that is in the United States is a, is a benefit back to the businesses and it's been a benefit back to those communities. Yeah, it certainly is. And I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, when I look at the property owners of commercial real estate that haven't sold their properties in a long time, sometimes that stock is getting tired. Those commercial properties, those multifamily properties, they're not up to par. And that could impact the communities where these properties are located in. It's just, it's such a ripple effect. Well, to, to end the show here, Brent, what would you say to viewers and listeners? What should they do if they're concerned? Where's the easy button? Is there something that the politicians may be missing that we should really key in on? Yeah, uh, don't become complacent. Don't wait. What we have recognized with all the work and the years of work we've been doing, trying to make sure that tax reform does not impact 1031s, what we found out is don't wait for a final bill than to raise your voice. Yeah. Raise it now, talk to your representatives now before a bill is written. Let them know because by the time you get down on the floor for a vote, sometimes it's way too late. And what we have heard from congressmen and women sometimes they've said, hey, we didn't hear anything so we just moved forward. That's not the case. Reach out, talk to people in your communities, get involved with your, your associations, make sure their government affairs people understand the importance of 1031s and we can save this yeah. and we can continue yeah. using this as an incredible stimulus for the U.S. Yeah. Well, great information, good tips. And we'll put some of these links uh, from the uh, from the accommodators website. We'll put in the 1031taxreform.com site. There's some easy links in there to talk to your politicians, to let them know what you think. Brent, great information. Thanks for doing what you do and thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you, Michael. And thanks for listening or viewing the show wherever you are in the country or around the world. Please, if you do think 1031 could hurt our economy, if it's abolished, do something about it. Check out the links. Also, connect with us. Follow us. Subscribe. Uh, comment. Share this show. Let's uh, let's tell the uh, U.S., let's tell the politicians, hey, listen, if you, if you agree uh, that this should not be abolished, let's talk about it. Let's share the show. And thanks for being with us. Until next week. Be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Asset and Occupancy Solutions, Excelligent, Building Data Everywhere, Real Crowd, Crowdfunding with the Professionals, Get Valuate Online Investment Analysis, Build Out Marketing for Your Brokerage. For more information on these great companies, visit CREshow.com and be sure to subscribe on iTunes and YouTube and connect with us on your favorite social media.